Bootstrapping a media business is hard. Being the de facto leader in your category of coverage while being bootstrapped, near impossible. My guest today, Jason Yanowitz, is the co-founder and CEO of Blockworks. He'll talk about how he grew Blockworks from an idea to a business doubling year over year. He'll get into how they are throwing events with almost 10,000 attendees, what he thinks about IP, and how Web3 integrates with Blockworks moving forward. Jason and I had a blast on this one. Let's dive in. This is Media Moves, the podcast for executives to make sense of the perpetually moving media landscape. I'm Adam Ryan. Every smart marketer I talk to is paying more attention to first and zero party data. Understanding your audience is key, and sail through makes that process simple and effective. I love how intuitive their platform is to use, and it saves a lot of time. Head to sailthrough.com to check out their great product or via the link in our description. And now, let's get into today's episode. Jason, thanks for being here, man. Appreciate jumping on. Of course. Thanks for uh, inviting me. Absolutely. Uh, I've been following you. I, I actually was going through my email. I sent you a cold email about 14 months ago that was like, hey, this looks really awesome. How can I help you? Uh, and uh, you you didn't need my help, but, but uh, now, now looking at you really didn't need my help. Yeah, I did need your help. I, you taught me, you were the one who convinced me that we should go spend a bunch of money on paid ads to acquire newsletter subscribers. Uh, How'd it work? Is, it's worked phenomenally well. Yeah, I, uh, I'm glad to hear it. Um, awesome. Well, I think you are absolutely world-class at building a, a crypto-focused media company, which you were ahead of your time there, I would say 2018. During the winter, uh, you made it through and now you've been part of the boom and Blackwork seems to just be expanding and uh, you cross 50 people and revenue seems, according to Axios, is just exploding as well. Yeah, things have been really good. So it's been a uh, it's been one of those things where you build the business for a couple of years, things are going right, it's going in the right direction. And then just the last 12 months have been really parabolic growth for us. So it's, it's definitely been an exciting couple of months to start the year and just last year was a big year for us as well. So yeah, so let's dive into that that parabolic growth. What's been the biggest driver thus far? So Blockworks is a financial media brand, right? That operates in inside of crypto. And we've obviously, like many other founders and, and companies, have done a lot wrong over the years, but we've we got one thing right, which is believing that crypto would eventually go from this like retail grassroots asset class and industry to an institutional industry. And one of the core beliefs at the beginning of Blockworks was that crypto would eventually become one of the largest asset classes in the world, and that the number of investors who came into the industry was going to grow a thousandfold, ten thousandfold, and that you know if you think back to when we launched the business, of like kind of unofficially in 2017, the information that existed back then was pretty siloed across. There's like maybe one or two media companies, maybe one or two podcasts, no newsletters, a lot of stuff on Twitter and Reddit. And there really wasn't any source of like source of very trusted institutional news and information in the space. And so that's really what we set out to do, just with the belief that as the number of investors who came into the industry grew exponentially, they were going to demand a much higher quality of information, news, insights, analysis, research, data, et cetera, uh, just about the asset class. And so that's what we've built. And I think as we built that over the last couple of years, like tying this back to your original question, Last year was the big year for us in terms of just getting these products out to market, building in-house podcasts, launching our daily newsletter, you know, launching this 5,000 person event called Permissionless and, and a lot more. So 
Yeah. Well, and I, I like have to say it because if you go to Blockworks, it feels like Bloomberg, like in like a, a good way. Like it feels like you've created almost like an updated financial ecosystem that includes like your ticker includes ETH, right? Like you have like you've and oil, right? Like you cover all the key categories. So it's interesting. I, I position it wrong. Like you are a financial media company that just also essentially crypto lives underneath that. There are two conversations there. One is, I think when one thing that crypto folks get wrong when they're building crypto products, as a user, you can only, you're either doing something innovative on like the product side, or for us, it's like innovative on the content side or innovative on the design side. So either like the thing that you're engaging with, like the content is either innovative or the design is innovative. And if you do both of them, you usually go too far for the user. So if you look at some of these like DeFi protocols, or also some media companies that have like gone way too far into just the design is like hyper crypto-y. My belief is that that is too far because the product itself, which for us as a media company is the crypto content, is already kind of pushing the limit with what folks understand. So the design and just like the look and feel and the UX and UI has to be very, very familiar for us. So, And then on the financial media side, like we intimately believe that you can't really talk about crypto today. Crypto changed, right? When COVID hit, starting in March of 2020, it became impossible to talk about crypto without talking about global macro and the Fed and interest rates. Now that those things are intimately tied together. And so that's why our, the look, those are the two reasons why like the look and feel of our website, we didn't copy Bloomberg, but we definitely t- took uh, no, a lot of inspiration. Ins- I would in- say. Inspired by for sure, right? <laughs> exactly. I th- the What you just talked about though, I've had a lot of these conversations and UX UI never come up. And I have told our team continuously that like if media companies focus not just on content, but actually the way that that content is consumed from design to medium and everything in between, you're at a massive advantage because there's just too many media companies focusing on like either super high quality content, but it's like, Jesus, why are these paragraphs like 25 lines long no one's going to read through this right <laughs> to like tiktoks that don't have like good cadence like all that matters just as much as like the quality and so like you making crypto accessible through design because the content itself is potentially on the borderline of accessible is really really smart design is the easiest way for a small company to feel like a big company good design an amazing design product or website is the best way for a 10 person company to feel like a 100 or a 100 person company to feel like a large enterprise. Right. And so we've definitely leaned into that. I, uh, that might be a future essay. I love that. Did you use in-house designers? Did you hire an agency? What was your process there? We hired an agency. Um, shout out to, uh, Adam over at front office sports helped us out finding an agency. Um, these guys wheelhouse, they're amazing. They're down in Miami. Uh, they did everything from we, our, na- our name used to be Blockworks Group and Blockworks Group was this like collection of podcasts and events and a newsletter and different things, we, but we didn't actually have an editorial website. So unlike you, I'm, I'm assuming you talk to media operators every single day, most of them, you build the content, you build the editorial site first, and then you go build products around it. We did it ass backwards, right? We built all the products and the revenue generating things. And then we built the editorial site. So Wheelhouse did everything from like rebrand us from Blockworks Group to Blockworks, built the website, built the new brand, uh, developed everything. So we did that with an agency, but now we've taken everything in-house. We also used an agency to, to launch Workweek. And Beck and I talk about all the time. It was the best 20 grand like we've ever spent 
it makes you feel so yeah, much more. I think we spent perfect. like 35 grand. And we were yeah. And, uh, and so big takeaway, investing in design and experience when you're getting started makes you feel way bigger and helps that experience long-term of where you can create content and go faster and faster. So you just mentioned this. I, uh, we were talking about this just before the start, but like, I remember Blockworks group as like, I was like, how the hell do these people have like 50 podcasts already? Like you guys had so much content already. Tell us like the, your, the way that that came about and then how you strategically pivoted that to become Blockworks that we know today. I think we just have a very deep-seated belief in podcasts. Mike and I, when we were first starting Blockworks, one of the kind of genesis moments for us was listening to this podcast back in 2017 with Naval and Nick Zabo on Tim Ferriss's podcast. And we would literally sit on our couch. We were roommates at the time. We would sit on the couch and we'd listen to five minutes and then we'd pause it and we'd say, okay, smart contracts. Do you understand what that is? No? Great. Let's go research it. And then we play it. We talk for 30 minutes and we play it again for five minutes. We say, do you understand that? No? Great. Let's go. And so like we very intimately believe that podcasts are one of the best mediums to actually understand what's going on in the industry. And if you look at uh, like fast forward four years after 2017, like if you look at how Michael Saylor explained and convinced his literal literal board of a public company to how to buy Bitcoin, he didn't send them research reports. He didn't send them essays or whatever it may be. He sent them eight different podcasts. He sent the board of a public company, eight podcasts to convince them to buy Bitcoin. And half of a media company is just getting the medium right. So if yeah. Blockworks leaned into newspapers, we'd be shit out of luck and we'd be out of business. So that's what we did. We leaned into podcasts. Our first podcast was uh, with this guy, Anthony Pompliano. So obviously we that, that was a good partnership there. and Good talent find. Good talent find. Good talent find. And, but I think there was also just sometimes when you're an entrepreneur, like your lack of knowledge is about what you're doing sometimes is, is your biggest enemy, but also your best friend. And for us, yeah. like Mike and I were not media entrepreneurs. We didn't know media. We didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know what morning we didn't know about morning. Actually, we did know morning brewing the hustle uh, just because we were like readers of, of things like that. But we didn't have this like deeply ingrained media sense inside of us. And so we basically just said, what do we want to do? It's things that we like doing. It's going to events and listening to podcasts. And that's why th- those were our first two products. So, and I can talk like we partnered with Pomp and then the rest was kind of that podcast shot up to number four on iTunes and then the rest was history. So, yeah, I mean, that was, it's amazing what like a, a great talent can be as a wedge to like grow something much, much bigger and faster. And for those that don't understand the impact of the Michael, Michael Saylor Bitcoin, those eight podcasts inspired about four and a half billion dollars of Bitcoin holdings today. So who says you can't drive uh, ROI from audio <laughs> is, uh, is wrong. And I think that leads to the next point is like you started to create experiences and your bet early was that institutional money like Michael Saylor would start to go into crypto. Uh, great early conviction, which you were dead on on 2019, 2020, 2021. Now this year, like that continues that trend and it's, it's going faster and faster every quarter. Where and then you started to take advantage of that trend with events. And I uh, told you this before, but I asked my audience uh, in the newsletter, I said, you know, whose media operators that you want to hear from and learn from and what do you want to hear from? And you came up multiple times because of your event strategy at Blockworks. Can you give us an overview of your event strategy of the, of the overall business and then kind of how you started to, to think about that? That's so different than everybody else. I can. I would feel like a complete schmuck if I didn't 
uh, call out our COO, Julie Miroff, who just has absolutely been a powerhouse on our events business. And I would just feel like a schmuck trying to take credit for this because it's really been her doing. It's important to remind. So this year, uh, in two months from now, in mid-May, we are hosting a permissionless, which is going to be a five to 7,000 person, three-day conference. Blau is headlining it with DJs. We've got Chris Dixon keynoting, Do Kwan from Terra, like really, really huge names. Coinbase is the presenting partner. We've got a big NFT gallery. I think it's just important for maybe new media entrepreneurs who are starting. Blockwork started by hosting 10-person happy hours where we would message people on LinkedIn, right? So it, it wasn't always like this. And for us, our big thought was, how can you just basically aggregate these most powerful and most impactful community in one place. If we figured out how to do that, then we believe that we could eventually grow the conference business to these five to 10,000 person conferences. But instead of trying to go really big for the first few years, we went very, very B2B as media folks would call it, right? Where we actually started with these family office dinners. Mike and I would cold call all the family offices in New York, and then we'd get one company to actually sponsor them. Then we kind of scaled those up to these like 500 person conferences called the Digital Asset Summit, took that to New York and London, built that into from a one-day into a two-day conference. And then now we're finally expanding into these 5,000-person conferences. But I think um, in terms of like what makes them tick and why they're the industry's best conferences, like lack of too much sponsored content, I think is... I, I don't know. I don't... I want to give you this like really bright, intelligent answer here, but I think it's just lack of too much sponsored content. Don't over monetize. Don't focus on having like a 70% gross margin in year one. Try to break even in year one, year two, 30% margin, maybe year three or year two, whatever it is, like 70% margin. But I don't know, just focus on building the experience in the community first. I think that's the takeaway. And it's not that different of a strategy. The Hustle did Pizza and 40s events, which were like free events yeah. that we gave pizza and beer away cost like 200 bucks we probably hosted like 25 30 of those and then those that actually was the group that like in the end drove tickets for HustleCon and like that you know turned that into so we did we did a similar thing we would have blockworks beers once a month in new york we would rent out a bar in new york cost like i don't i think it was free because we would bring a bunch of money into the bar and people would come we'd give like the first 200 people a drink ticket and then the rest of it brought like a, a bunch of money into the bar. So they would give it to us for free. And those, you know, you do those once a month, 200 people each time, that's 2,400 people that you're building in your in-person community. Very easy to convert 20% of those into a 500 person event. You, you also like never know who you're going to meet. Like I met Nick Sharma through one of those events when he was, you know, 20 years old. And we talked like, that's how that relationship started. When you actually have those lower barrier that anybody can do, it just takes a little bit of hustle yeah. and very little cash. That's the secret to like building. I think these like flagship events and conferences that like are worth, you know, you do this a couple of years in a row, events start to be very valuable when you prove that they can last for 25 years. That's the turning point of like making that such a huge business. And, but it just starts with like Blackwords beers. What a, what a good takeaway. And I think it's also just sitting down with the, with the sponsors. I think everyone has, this is across all, all of our products, right? But instead of saying, oh, I think the sponsor wants this, right? The advertiser wants this. Just actually figuring out what they want. Some advertisers or sponsors have no interest in acquiring customers. They just want to look cool. They want to fix their brand. And some folks have no interest in brand, but they really want to sit down with four big hedge funds. And some folks don't care about the hedge funds. They want to acquire a mass amount of users. So it's just sitting down with them and figuring out what they want. I believe smart media businesses build audience first. 
Driving value for your audience starts with actually knowing who they are. And Sailthrough's platform makes that simple. I'm busy, as I'm sure you are too. And the way Sailthrough links tech together really lets marketing executives do more in less time. Head to sailthrough.com, that's S-A-I-L-T-H-R-U.com to check them out or visit the link in our description. Is permissionless still B2B or, or is it more consumer? How have you, like, and in the words of media, I feel like a insider when I use that now, uh, but uh, when, how, <laughs> who's the audience for permissionless? This is the weird thing about crypto is in traditional financial markets, there's a very clear delineation between institutional crowd and the retail crowd, right? The institutional crowd, they're 50 years old, the hedge fund managers, they're buttoned up, they're in industry insiders, they're worth whole bunch of money, et cetera. Everyone knows the like B2B business in finance. And the retail crowd is like the Robin Hood day traders or whatever, who are just getting like hosed left and right. And I don't know, maybe younger and they're trading on Reddit or whatever it may look like. Crypto is very, very different. Crypto has flipped things on its head because for the first several years, crypto uh, retail folks were the insiders. And what happened because the industry grew so quickly and the asset classes grew so quickly is that the retail folks now oftentimes have more wealth than the institutional crowd. And wealth aside, they actually know a lot more. So the yep. institutional folks, so now we have the hedge fund managers who are 50 years old, been trading for 30 years. They want to come meet the 24-year-old who's deep into the Terra ecosystem and like understands how to pl almost play these like DeFi yield pools. So the reason I say all that is like permissionless is not a B2B event, nor is it a B2C event. We're trying to build the industry's largest event. And this year we'll do 5,000, 6,000, maybe 7,000 attendees. We, it's 2022, uh, probably by 2025, this will be a multi 100,000 person event where everyone in the industry goes to gather essentially. And it almost feels more like a, maybe a South by Southwest or a festival than it does just like a butts in seats type of conference. And that's one that can be generational, right? Uh, you, you really like the constant theme I'm hearing from sponsors, though, to your audience, like from retail to institution, like you're listening to what they want, you know, like you're you're actually institutions like, hey, I actually want to talk to that like 24 year old that's like so deep in protocols and he's worth more than his parents because like he knows exactly what he's doing versus like institution is what's going to drive the industry forward. We were on a call earlier this week with a multi-billion dollar hedge fund manager and we said, oh, oh, we think there's three panels at Permissionless. You've got like Metaverse, you've got gaming and you know, you've got a couple others and there's this institutional panel and like an institutional track. And he said, oh, you mean the boring track? Who would want to attend that? And this is the multi-billion dollar, uh, probably 60 year old hedge fund manager who's saying he's the quintessential institutional track type of attendee. Uh, and he's looking at, you know, attending the, the metaverse and the gaming track, right? So that's where crypto kind of flips things on its head. I think there's takeaways across all industries there, though, is like the reality is there's audiences within your audiences. And too many times, I think with events specifically, but even like across all mediums, you kind of like make assumptions across the board. And if you would have guys have done that, you have potentially turned yourselves, which some of your competitors have into like NFT pump, right? Like you could have like easily like fell into retail and like fallen into the traps that come with that because like you're just like following the trends versus like listening to what like the needs are. But I do think that there's a really important thing happening in crypto for those who are interested, which is ever since I've been in the industry, it's just crypto. Crypto is the industry. You don't say 
That's what you say. You're in, you're in, you're in the crypto industry. And now for the first time ever sectors have, have formed. So there are now there's the gaming part of crypto and the gamers are, have no interest in sometimes what's happening in DeFi. So you've got like the Bitcoin crowd and the Bitcoin mining crowd, and then you've got the DeFi crowd, and then you've got the NFT crowd, uh, the, the metaverse crowd. And I say that because that is what kind of the expansion of a lot of our content looks like on the media side of the business is like the podcasts and newsletters. You could see a world where Blockworks in a couple of years from now looks like a morning brew or looks like an Axios on the newsletter side where we've got 12 different newsletters and we own the largest NFT newsletter in the industry, the largest DeFi newsletter in the industry, the largest maybe like Morning Brew has their one with like 3 million subscribers. That might be our main daily newsletter. I think that's kind of what the future of maybe the top of funnel, larger media distribution channels of Blockworks could look like. Moving to the, to the next thing, I can't wait to hear your thoughts on our, our predictions. What do you think crypto media 12 months from now, what do you think it looks like? I would zoom out actually and answer your question in terms of just information in crypto. Mm-hmm. So right now, information in crypto is very, very siloed. You've got the media companies. You've got the blockchain like scanners, like the Ether scan, right? Like, the, uh, excuse me, the blockchain explorers. You've got the um, the data providers, the Nansens of the world and, and things like that, the Kaikos and Amber Datas. And today, media in crypto is really, really small. It's a tiny market. It's like a $250 million market. It's not even a billion dollar market. In traditional financial markets, it's a 30 to $50 billion market. So you're looking at 250 million versus like 25 billion or actually a lot more than that. Yeah. What I, what the biggest prediction I have is, is I think there's going to be consolidation and uh, you're going to see a data provider look at a media company and say, oh my God, that media company has got all my users. They just don't have a they're monetizing with sponsorships and ads. They should be monetizing with a $50,000 a year annual subscription. And then you look at a media company that says, I'm sponsor- uh, monetizing with sponsorships right now. I should be monetizing with this $100,000 a year subscription. And they join forces. Now you've got data and media. Then you've got a blockchain explorer that has 100 million page views a month. And they say, oh my God, that person has no idea how to monetize, but they've got all of our users. Let's bring them into the funnel. And kind of into the party. So that's, that's what's going to happen is there's going to be just a race for consolidation. You see, a, and like a vertical, almost like a verticalization too, right? Like you're spinning the flywheel faster through distribution, high LTV products, and then like all of that, that can create like spinoff assets essentially. Right. Exactly. Um, exactly. How does Blockworks yeah. play into that? I don't want to share too much, but Blockworks uh, in a couple of months is launching an enterprise product. It's our first venture into uh, kind of the more institutional enterprise grade. I don't want to say too much about it, but it, it, we're launching a product that's that'll be like you know somewhere between, depending on who you are, ten thousand dollars a year to a hundred thousand dollars a year, and we've got a number of kind of customers and clients who have been spending advertising dollars with us for f- almost four years lined up to purchase this thing. So we're really excited about that. It uh, real vision esque, except the other way. Really, like right, you know, they started with like the fifty to hundred k hedge fund subscriptions and then worked their way kind of down it's interesting you kind of did in a way like a bottoms up model and i'm a bigger believer in that because you can get a better type of funnel and like save cost early um we're we're excited about it excited to see that product all right uh next prediction five years from now what in crypto media is totally different than today and what is the exact same i don't want to copy my original prediction but i think that they'll just be more (laughs) 
consolidation. I'll, I'll give you a, a better, more interesting one, but I would just double down on that first prediction, which is there's going to be more consolidation. And right now you've got like 15 media companies and 15 data providers. There's going to be maybe two or three big powerhouses. Um, and I think hopefully Blockworks is one of those. In terms of just maybe more a more like crypto native prediction that I really believe in, the media companies of the future are going to lean into crypto native tooling, uh, such as DAOs and NFTs. So Blockworks is dropping our first collection of NFTs in about three weeks from now. I will actually say, I will give you credit. Do you remember the happy hour that you hosted in New York? Of um, course, yeah. In June. And you were like, you should, yeah, you should really be thinking about uh, more crypto native tools. You're a crypto media company. I was like, ah, I don't know, Adam. That was a turning point for me, actually. I That's was like, awesome. Adam was right. Yeah. So that just that one comment, I don't even know if you remember that, but we're leaning pretty heavily into crypto native uh, tools. We launched our Discord. We had 1,500 people join our Discord in the first 10 minutes. Uh, we're launching these NFTs in a couple of weeks. We're thinking about what, like, just how media companies and DAOs, uh, what, what that should look like. And um, man, we let's jam on that at a different conversation and record that because. Me, you, Jess Sloss. There's a few other people that have been putting a lot of time into thinking about that. Get Jared we Dicker have, on there. and uh, Yeah, there's a lot day. of conversations <laughs> we could have. Also, so. I just have to say, I am so happy to hear about the native tooling because like, there's nobody that should do that faster than like the audience that you're building for. And I, I think that's what I was like kind of telling you back in June is like, it just makes total sense and it's genius. And you're going to like allow other companies to basically pave the path uh, behind you or you're paving the path for companies behind you um, that aren't in crypto, which is like the impact that you can have on the industry. So I, yeah. I am pumped to, to hear that. What do you think will be the like exact same as today, uh, like from a media standpoint? What about paid acquisition? You talked about that earlier. Do you think that's going to still exist or to be the same? So the Web2 model for paid acquisition, you talked about this in the newsletter, is phenomenal. You this really great take, which is like in web two, what happens is VCs funnel money into companies. Basically you launch a company, you end up diluting yourself like 40, 50, 60% with VC dollars. Those VC dollars flow directly into Facebook and Instagram ads. And that's like what the customer acquisition looks like in web two in web three. And that's honestly what a lot of even crypto companies do. But the, what's actually changing right now is that you dilute yourself right out of the gate, right? You might allocate 40 or 50 or 60% of your tokens, your treasury to the community, which seems crazy for Web2 founders and Web2 VCs when they see that happening. But what happens, and you, again, you wrote about this really nicely in that newsletter, is you are taking away this relationship with where you dilute yourself 40% for the VCs, those VC dollars just flow directly into Facebook and Instagram to acquire the customers. Now you're acquiring the customers immediately and they're becoming shareholders in your business and users in your business right from day one. And you don't have that same relationship. So that's what, so I think that will end up changing. But that being said, I think some things stay the same, which is Facebook and Instagram are still amazing platforms to acquire users. The different thing that I was going to say is like, there's all this talk around creators and creators leaving. I think, uh, who was it? Taylor just left the New York times to go to Washington post. I'm pretty sure I saw that. And like, there's all this talk on like creators leaving and stuff like that. When we speak with creators, we see something different, which is that folks want a platform and they don't want to do all of the work. They don't want to build their finance team. They don't want to build their, their operations team. So the most important thing that media companies can get right for building their brand in the future is figuring out how to retain talent. And, and honestly, what it comes down to, Adam, is can you build 
the creator's brand bigger? Will their brand be bigger if they build in-house at your media company? Or will their brand be bigger if they leave? And Blockworks is just, I think we're way ahead of the pack when it comes to just like figuring out how to uh, really support these creators and, and like talent, you know, to help them. Yeah. I mean, it look, this is like my whole thesis about work week, right? Like this is the whole, the whole game. <laughs> yeah, I forgot um, I'm talking to someone who's building their entire business around this uh, theory. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but dig in a little bit if, if you're comfortable, like how has Blockworks thought about that? Like where it, cause you have, so one thing that I do that I don't ever call out publicly, but I look at, I have a whole sheet that I keep of talent retention of companies, particularly as top talent grows, can they keep them? And you guys have not, from what I can find, for folks that look like you've invested in and you want to stay, you haven't really lost that many people. Like Pomp obviously was a different deal early and that was probably more helpful than not like anything, but you've done a really decent job of keeping talent. What is that sauce? Like, how are you guys so ahead? I think there's one question to figure out before you figure out how to keep the talent, which is what do you care more about as a media company? Is it the revenue or is it the IP? And Everyone in media says it's the IP right out of the gate. The IP is the most important thing. I would push back slightly for like newer entrepreneurs building their media companies, which was us in the beginning. IP did not matter as much for us in the beginning. We've never raised a dime of venture capital money. We needed revenue, right? So like Pomp, Pomp owned his entire show from day one and we no longer work with Pomp. That was an amazing, I hope Pomp would say the same thing, like a win-win deal because that show spit off a lot of the revenue that helped us bootstrap the business. And we did that a couple more times with some other folks. But if you do decide that you want to keep the talent for a very long time, I think it's just figuring out that like, oftentimes talent wants to do like two things. One is create content and two is build their brand they have no interest in the ad sales they have really anything else right nothing and so you have to do things that oftentimes look like a cost center in order to retain the talent and just i think it's like just figuring out how you can build a business around instead of building a business around blockworks and like the media brand how can you build mini businesses inside of Blockworks, right? And so that's what we're in the business of doing is like building sub brands within Blockworks. So we've got our permissionless brand. We've got our digital asset summit brand. We've got all these different podcasts. And like you guys have done a great job. I was on your website earlier today. I went to your page. It looks like you're going to launch courses around each creator. You're going to launch a newsletter around each creator. You're going to launch a podcast around each creator. That is a mini business inside of the greater Workweek business. And we're thinking about it the exact same way. Yeah, there's also the thing that no one catches of that is their scale with one brand. I like firmly believe despite like there's there's exceptions to rules more than you know, of course, but like it's really difficult to get one brand with one main medium to get to like 50 million. It's tough. I think it's a lot easier and you can do a lot of them to get to many brands to 10 to 15 million a year. And like when you change your approach there of like, hey, let's just do one versus let's let's do a hundred, all of a sudden it like takes away this like scale problem. And then it's like, can you actually create like uh, what we started to call it work week is like an out of box operating system basically for like creators in that way, right? Like where immediately we can like help you get to get to 10. But yeah, that's it's uh, the creator one, man. We got to have to have, have you back on to, to talk about uh, retaining talent and and Web3 native tooling. Because those are uh, with media; those are those are things I'm thinking about all the time. But Jason, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, it was awesome. 
everyone can can learn from you the 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 event business is exploding. You probably have the biggest for a bootstrap media business, a hundred percent the biggest flagship event that I know of. But also just uh, kind of leading the pack in the in, in the industry and sticking to who you are. So glad we could all learn from you. Thanks for being uh, my go-to person to call when I'm freaking out and panicking about things over the years, Adam. Uh, I appreciate it. But yeah, <laughs> I, I, I love it. I like you said something earlier that I have to remind myself consistently of like. Being naive is actually just a huge advantage in this game because it's about creativity. You guys have approached things like you may call yourself naive in media, but like really what you are is just like looking at things from a different angle because you don't know what way to look. And like it's yeah. it's a secret sauce. And I think like even if you're an experienced operator, like bringing people on your team that don't know the past that like push you to think differently is like a really, really solid uh, approach. So, um, all right, we'll do this again. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks, Ed. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay ahead of media's next move, then make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen. I'll see you next time.